There we go. Grazie. You know, you guys know I like to quote John Piper, a well-known uh, preacher, author, theologian in the States. And one of his catchphrases would be, it's in his signature work, uh, his signature book, it's called Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. How many of you know what a Christian hedonist is? I think we've talked about it before. Um, anybody want to take a stab at it? Christian hedonism? What is a hedonist? Somebody who pursues pleasure as their highest end or highest goal in life. Pleasure. Just sheer pleasure. Right? So if we put Christian in front of it, what would it become? It would become um, the pursuit of Christ as the highest pleasure in the cosmos, right? And this is what John Piper's talking about. So I want to ask you at the outset, are you a Christian hedonist? Do you love God like that? Is He your highest pleasure in life? It's a lot of what we were talking about last week. Are you captivated by this great God? Does He fill your heart and your soul and your mind and your imagination with not only who He is, but what He's done and what He's promised? Are you a Christian hedonist? Do you love Christ like that? At the end of the day, it really is the essence of biblical born-again Christianity. This is what separates biblical born-again Christianity from pseudo-Christianity. There are millions of people who come into places like this around the world. They don't really love Christ at all. It's just a cultural habit. It's something they do because it's expected of them or they think it's proper or they think somehow they might please God by attending church. Beloved, this is not biblical Christianity. <laughs> True Christians come to church because they cannot not come to church. Because they must come and be with God's people. They must hear the Word of God preached. They must sing His praises. We're Christian hedonists. I want to learn more about this God. I want to learn more about the pleasure of God, of knowing God, of delighting in God. It's kind of what we talked about a lot last week. If we've really caught a glimpse of Emmanuel, we are captivated. And beloved, if you're not captivated, I say to you in a very loving way, I say to you in, with biblical authority, if you're not captivated by the person of Jesus Christ, you haven't met Him yet. You haven't met Him yet. Because to meet Him is to become a Christian hedonist. <laughs> because He will become your principal and primary and first pursuit in life. It's what we talked about last week, and I want to expand on that just a little bit um, this evening. Many of you are familiar with the four living creatures in Revelation 4. Are you not? What do those guys do? What do those guys do, those four living creatures? What do they do all day long? Worship! Now, presumably this is all they've ever done from the day God created them. We don't know how old they are, but apparently... They just worship God. And you remember the text? They have eyes all uh, around and within. They have all of these eyes. I'm sure they're very strange looking creatures. But you know what I've often thought? I've often thought they wish, I, I bet they wish they had one more eye. 
Why do you think I, I would say that? To see more of God. How long will it see the beauty of an infinite God? How long will it take? Well, we never arrive. <laughs> we, we will never arrive. The Christian hedonist never gets to the end of his pleasure because you can't get to the end of an infinite God. After a billion eternities, we will have only just begun to discover and enjoy all that God is. It's happening again. <laughs> I've been getting goosebumps a lot lately. And yes, under my sweater, it's happening. It always happens right in this area here. I don't understand the physiology of that. But it's happening right here. One of my seminary professors called this Revelation 4 thing. He called it an eter the eternal gasp. Don't you love that? The eternal gasp. And I'm going to develop that thought as we go through the sermon. But he said, he said, <laughs> he said, what do you think would happen if I tapped one of them on the shoulder? Do you think they would turn around? You think they would turn around and talk to me? <laughs> They're looking at God and they've only just begun. It may have been 10,000 years. They've only just begun. They're Christian hedonists. Or we could call them angelic hedonists. Uh, how many times have we said it over the years? Praise God it's not about me. Praise God it's not about you, right? Aren't you thankful it's not about you? I'm just not that interesting. Some of you may be more interesting, much more interesting than me, but you know what? You're not interesting enough to fill up forever. You're just not. At some point, you're going to get to the end of yourself. I got to the end of myself a long time ago, and it was a really sad situation. <laughs> but I never get to the end of Jesus. I never get to the end of this God. It's a beloved Christianity is not a religion. It's a it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be in relationship with this beautiful God. And we not only as Christians understand it's not about us, we love it that it's not about us. Jesus will fill up forever. He will fill up forever. It's like the new romance that never wanes. It never wanes. Jesus evokes the eternal gasp. It's who He is. It's who He is. As we talked about last week, God has set eternity in the heart of man. And as we said last week, if you could pour the whole cosmos into your heart, you wouldn't move the needle. Only God can fill up the heart of man. And we learn in the Bible that God is giving Himself to mankind. To all who would repent and believe, God gives Himself. God is just giving Himself to His people. God's giving Himself. All that He is will be ours to behold and taste and enjoy and delight in forever. The God who effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence and sustains those galaxies, He upholds those galaxies. Yeah, we'll get to hang out for him, with Him forever. Beloved Christianity, it's a privilege. If you've let it become some dull habit in your life, 
I, as I did last week, I have to challenge you to repent. That's not Christianity at all. You've been deceived. You, you're involved in something else. You're, you're involved with maybe Christian religion, but you're not involved with Jesus Christ. That it's, would be evident. It made me think, I think we talked about Mary some months ago, maybe the end of the year. Mary of Bethany, um, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And you remember what she did um, when Jesus was there and, and she was in awe of this God. and She poured out a year's wages worth of costly perfume. I mean, this is what it looks like when we really understand who He is. Right? A year's wages, it was just about right. <laughs> it wasn't too much. We know that the uh, disciples around her critiqued her for it, but Jesus loved it. Jesus, Jesus loves when His Christian hedonists delight in Him. He loves it. He loves it, beloved. It's one of the things we learned um, about true conversion as we study the Bible. And like the men and women of Hebrews 11, their lives shout that, that, you know, as you read that text, their lives shout, I love this beautiful God. I'm going to seek this beautiful God and pursue this beautiful God and treasure and worship and obey this beautiful God with all my might. That's biblical Christianity. That's, that's what you see in the Bible. That's what you see in men and women's lives. They're not playing religion with God. They're in love with God. They're pursuing God. I think it's great. Let me ask you, have you loved Jesus well? I'm not saying you have to do what Mary did or, or what anyone else in the Bible did. You're unique and God loves you in a unique way. But what does it look like in your life to love God well? What would it look like in your life to love Christ well? What would it look like? Maybe you already know. I like how David and Paul talk about this. You know, King David says, and I read it in the, the, the earlier psalm, Psalm 63.3, he says, Your loving kindness is better than life, O Lord. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you understand it? And Paul says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? This is conversion. This is true Christianity. It's saying Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. We love Christ the way we're supposed to love Christ. What does the Bible say? With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. This is what the Bible says. Let me ask you, is that where, it is? Is that where you are with Jesus? Are you loving Him like this? Is this the relationship that you have with Him? I hope you have your Bibles uh, still open to Exodus 33. And I just want to take a little time tonight and look at this in the life of Moses. As we talked about last week, we talked about seeking the Lord. And we see this truth in Moses' life in this great text, Exodus 30, 
3. Moses, as you know, was born a slave. He was raised a prince. He became a murderer on the run. And he was minding his own business one day, pastoring his uh, father-in-law's sheep. And God came to him. Moses had a comfortable life. It was a secure life. It was a manageable life. It was a common sense kind of life. A life with minimal risk. And God said, I want you to do the impossible. (laughs) I want you to go with me and do an impossible thing. Yeah. Moses had to decide. Did he really believe in this God? Did he really trust this God? Or was it just religion? You know? It's the same decision you have to make, right? You have to make this decision. Am I just going to play religion with Jesus? Or am I actually going to do what He says? (laughs) Again, it's the difference between biblical Christianity and pseudo-Christianity. You know, you don't just become a Christian and stay the same. You don't just become a Christian and your life doesn't change radically. Your habits change radically. Your speech changes radically. The things you watch, it changes radically. The things you do, it changes radically. So Moses had to decide. He decides to go with God. and You know the story. He becomes one of the greatest men to ever live. Amen? And he lives one of the greatest lives ever lived. This is a, you know, this is a sermon series right here. Right? This is what it looks like when you go with God. Now, you may not, no, you're not going to get written up in the Bible. It's a closed book. But it'll be written up in the annals of, of eternity. Your exploits with God. <laughs> you know, we got a record of Moses' exploits with God. Your exploits with God, it'll be written in the annals of eternity. Jesus will be honored. Jesus will be honored in your exploits of faith. Will you believe God? Will you obey the Lord even when it looks hard? That's not the lesson I want to draw from Moses' life. Moses abandons himself to the call of God. You know the story. He sees and experiences unbelievable things, incredible things, unimaginable things, miraculous things, and awesome things. Moses sees and experiences more of God than any man who has ever lived up to this time. Say, apart from Adam and Eve who walked with God in the garden. Post-fall, Moses has seen more of God than any other man. He witnessed the physical presence of God in the burning bush. He witnessed the omnipotent power of God as God crushed Egypt. He walked through the Red Sea. He ate the manna from heaven. He drank the water from a rock. He received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. He saw firsthand both the grace and the wrath of God in the Jewish camp. He has seen more of God than anyone has ever seen of God. But what does he pray in Exodus 33? What did he say in Exodus 33? What does he say? Show me your glory, God. The one thing Moses knows, he knows a lot about God. But the beautiful thing, the breathtaking thing he knows is, I know I haven't seen anything yet. Right? 
You're supposed to know this, beloved. You're supposed to know you haven't seen anything yet. You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to build your life around the fact you haven't seen anything yet. And you need to be praying, God, show me Your glory. Show me Your glory in my marriage. Show me Your, your, your glory at my, at my work. Show me Your glory at the university. Show me Your glory in my career. Whatever it is. We should never stop praying this. I like what A.W. Tozer says, a famous American uh, theologian uh, back in the 20th century. He says, this is the prayer God loves to hear. And this is the prayer God loves to answer. Don't you love this? <laughs> when was the last time you asked God to show you His glory? When was the last time, beloved? Are you a Christian Edenist? Are you delighting in God? And of course, as I alluded to earlier, the addictive truth here is once you begin to, to truly pursue and seek the Lord in your Christianity, the, the beautiful thing here is that you, you know you never come to the end of this pursuit. It is the Revelation 4 thing. So I believe the deepest part of worship, and I believe I can make a strong biblical case for this, it's what we see in Revelation 4. It's desire. I wonder if I, if I had asked each one of you to write down what is the deepest part of worship. We probably would have gotten a lot of good answers, right? But it all comes back to, 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 to the desire that's in our heart. Amen? Do you desire God? Are you really a Christian hedonist? Is He your highest, your highest and greatest pleasure? This is what God desires in every one of His children's lives, beloved. That you would desire Him above all things. We talked about it last week as we talked about the psalmist. We saw the, we saw the, the holy lust in the words of the psalmist as they talked about their desire, their deep desire for God. So, three things I want to point out from the text tonight that uh, they're common for all true born-again lovers of Jesus. That We really do desire to know Him more intimately. We really do delight in His presence and glory. And we are beginning to understand what the eternal gasp is all about. So, Exodus 33, just the context here. Some of you know in chapter 32, the people had sinned greatly against the Lord. And after judgment and repentance in the camp, Moses prays. Verses 12 and 13, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So, do you hear the first point here? It's, it's this desire that Moses has for God. 
Let me know your ways that I may know you. Is that your top priority on Monday morning when you get up? I want to know God more at the end of the week than I do right now. <laughs> right? Man, Christianity is a dynamic thing. It's always changing. It's always moving. It's always growing. It's always expanding. You know, if that's not happening in your life, in your walk with Christ, then you've settled somewhere, beloved. You've sat down somewhere. Or you... Yeah, you're just, it's just a religious thing. You know, there's no such thing in my mind as a, as a bored Christian. Now, uh, if you ever run into a bored Christian, I think what you have there is, a, is, a, is someone who's involved in pseudo-Christianity. I think it's an oxymoron to talk about a bored Christian. If we're really looking at Jesus, if we're really walking with Jesus, we will not be board. Moses says, I want to know you, God. I want to know you more. It's, it's all desire. It's desire. Let me just ask you, what is your greatest and deepest and most cherished desire in your life? Just be honest with yourself. What do you want more than anything else? Moses wants God. Yeah, he's out in the wilderness with two million stiff-necked rebellious, obstinate, hard to work with and manage people. <laughs> He's probably got a lot on his mind, right? What does he say? Lord, show me your glory. Lord, I want to know you more, Lord. I think there's a lot for you and I to learn here, beloved. Of course, in Exodus 33, Moses is expressing what we talked about last week, this holy lust for God that we saw flowing through the pens of the psalmists. They unashamedly they used words like panting and thirsting and desiring and yearning and longing and earnestly seeking. Is that what your Christianity looks like? Listen to the Apostle Paul echo this desire. You guys know the famous Philippians 3, 7 uh, through 10 passage. Let me just read an excerpt. Paul says, For whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him that I may know Him. Do you hear it, beloved? I, I exhorted you last week to seek the Lord with all your heart so mind and strength. And I'm trying to show you from this, this, uh, this chapter in Moses' life, it all flows out of this desire. You know, I guess you could seek Him in some religious way, but ultimately that, that sort of pursuit would, would flame out, Right? But if, you, if you're a real Christian hedonist, if you desire Him, <laughs> you will pursue Him. You cannot not pursue Him. I dare anybody to try to stop me from pursuing this God. Amen? Yeah, try and stop me from pursuing Jesus Christ. The great I Am God who's nailed to a tree for me? Yeah, try and stop me! You think you can stop me from pursuing Him? Of course He's my greatest pleasure! Of course I love Him above all things. 
Of course I need Him more than anything else. It's, in my view again, what biblical Christianity looks like. I'm going to read you a lengthy sermon, uh, sermon, a lengthy quote here from John Piper. Again, American preacher over in the States. Um, still alive, contemporary. And I, I, I share this probably with you three or four times a year. Uh, the, the quote is this. You hear me say it a lot. Human life is all about God. Okay? Human life is all about God. This is what he says. Human life is all about God. That is the meaning of being a human being. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have substance. There is weight and significance to our existence. Not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be a mere shadow of the substance we were created to have. This is a great tragedy. When humans forsake their Maker by loving other things more, they become like the things they love, small, insignificant, weightless, inconsequential, and God-diminishing. Moses understands this. He says, Lord, I want to know You. Paul understands this. Lord, I want to know You. Above all things, I want to know You. Verses 14-18. to 18, God says, verses 14, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, Moses says, If your presence does not go up with us, do not lead us up. Verse 16, For... How can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? and I and your people, is it not by your going with us so that, we, uh, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. In the NAS, there's an exclamation point. New American Standard Translation. There's an exclamation point. Moses said, I need to see it. Right? I want it. I'm a Christian hedonist. Maybe he was a Jewish hedonist. He was a hedonist nonetheless. He had to have God above all things. It's what I hear in his prayer. And that's the second point of, that I want to try to drive home to you tonight is that true believers delight in the presence and in the glory of God. Moses says here, he says in verse 15, he says, if you're not going to take me up to the promised land, I don't want to go. I'm not interested. If you're not going to go with us, I'm not interested. I want you more than the promised land. I want to be with you more than anything else. The promised land sounds great. But I don't want it if you're not going with us. I don't want it if you're not going to lead us up. I love this about Moses. This is the heart of true worship. This desire to be in the presence of God and to behold the glory of God. How did the psalmist say it last week? Remember Psalm 73? He said, Besides you... I desire nothing upon the earth. Verse 16, Moses continues to pray that God will be with him. He says, you're the best part of us. You're our renowned, is what he's saying. Verse 17, God says, I will do this 
For I have known you by name. When I read that, I couldn't help but think of John 10. You guys know John 10, that famous passage where Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I know my sheep by name. They know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. I love this. This relational. You know, we always end up back in John 17, 3, don't we? Jesus' definition of eternal life. What is it? Jesus' Jesus's definition of salvation. What is it? I prayed a magic prayer. I did the magic ordinance. I attend church. I live a moral life. It's not any of those things. What is Jesus' definition of eternal life? Knowing Him. John 17, 3. Knowing Him. We always end up back in that very, very beautiful place. Knowing God. Then Moses says, Show me your glory. The prayer God delights to hear and delights to answer. Are you asking God to show you His glory? Beloved, if you've, if you've left off praying this prayer, I want to encourage you tonight. Incorp- incorporate this into your prayer time. The prayer that God delights to hear and delights to answer. Moses has seen more of God than any man who has ever walked the face of the earth, but he knows one more thing. He hasn't seen anything yet. This is a big deal with God. (laughs) That you as His people understand you haven't seen anything yet. And you're hungry to go on in sanctification. You're hungry to go on in obedience. Because there we encounter the Lord all the more intimately as we radically obey Him. You know, that risk, that risky obedience, right? Let me ask you, when was the last time you took a legitimate risk for the name of Jesus Christ? When was the last time? It's a hard question for most people in this day and age, in this, in this part of the world. I mean, we don't take risks simply to take risks. But sometimes obedience is risk. It just is. (laughs) It just is. I've been a Christian, as I shared with you last week, 32 years. And I have to say to you, the more I look at Him, the more I study about Him, the more I experience Him, the more I follow Him and obey Him, the more captivated I am. You say, Jim, I'm not captivated with this Jesus Christ at all. Well, (laughs) um, I think you've got some serious business to do with God. Either you're not converted or you left off somewhere. You've left off somewhere truly following and truly loving truly obeying. Listen, beloved, it's what we talked about last week. I'm not telling you to obey because you should. I'm telling you to obey because you get God. I'm not telling you to obey because it's the right thing to do. I'm telling you to obey because you get God. That's why you should obey. You're a Christian hedonist! It's why Christian hedonists obey! Because God comes. John 14, 21. I know I said it last week. It's a life verse for me. It changed my life. 
to finally just start obeying God and He comes. Just obey God. It's a hard place to obey God. It looks hard. It looks costly. It looks risky. He comes. Right? <laughs> it's just reality. It's just the way it is. So Moses gets it. He's found what his heart was created to love and desire. It's God. And he's going to spend the rest of his days pursuing God. And he boldly proclaims or boldly prays, God, show me your glory. Show me all of you that I can see. Give my heart what you made it to desire. Fill my heart and soul and mind with yourself. Show me your godness. This will fill eternity for us, beloved. Moses has figured out what this life is all about and I'm about to tell you the secret. Are you ready? Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. Do you know that? If you don't know this, you know, you're a blind man walking in the dark. I'll read it to you again. Moses has learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. That's why you're here. If you settle for anything less than that, you'll always have a pervasive dissatisfaction in your own soul, in your own mind, and in your own heart. Do you desire the Lord like that? It's not only biblically accurate to say, it's urgently important to say to truly desire God is to truly worship God. I want to say it again. To truly desire God is to truly worship God. You cannot worship God if you do not desire God. It's all an act. It's an act and He hates it. He says, don't come to Me with words in your mouth if your heart is far from Me. He, he says, don't come to Me like that. We know God hates lukewarm religion. He hates it. Why? Because He made you to lust for Him and to come after Him, beloved. This is a great insult to God. It's a great insult to God, beloved. To be indifferent toward Him. To be lukewarm toward Him. You know, it's that $3 worth of God thing that you see in many, many places that are called Christians. I just want $3 worth of God. I just want a life insurance policy, a fire insurance policy. You know, I want a few blessings if God will throw them my way. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. It's an insult to God. Let me finish up here. The last few verses. Moses prays, verse 18, show me your glory. And then God says, I, God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and uh, will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock and it will come, ab come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Verse 23, Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is our third point. It's the eternal gasp. Tell me, what is, in your Bible, what does verse 24 say? 
Exodus 33.24, what does it say? There is no verse 24. Don't you hate it when I do that? But I had you all looking, right? Um, why is there no verse 24? Why doesn't Moses write down what he saw? You know why, right? He can't! The words of men and angels fail. There are no words. I do have a verse 24 in my the Jim Albright unauthorized version. It says, eternal gasp. Beloved, this is what a gasp was made for. It wasn't made simply for the Alps or the Grand Canyon or a beautiful sunset or whatever. God invented the human gasp so you'll have something to do when you see Him. Right? I do have a verse 24. I know some of you are too holy to write in your Bible, but I write in mine all the time. And there it is. It's what a gasp is for. It's what a gasp is for. There's a profound lesson here for us. You remember in Exodus 3.6, you may remember Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God, but now all he wants to do is look at God. What's changed? Someone tell me, what has changed? Moses has changed. His heart has been changed. God has taken out that heart of stone, put in that heart of flesh, and now Moses is a genuine Christian hedonist. And God says in verse 19, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The Hebrew word here is Yahweh. It's a reference to I Am. God says, I'll show you My great name. And every day since that day, God told uh, Moses His name was I Am. God has been showing Moses that He is I Am. I am everything you will ever want, need, or desire. That's one thing His name means, right? Don't have time to develop the fullness of His name. But God says to you, and He says to me, and He says to every human being who will come to Him, I'll be all you ever want forever. I'll fill up every desire you have. This is one thing the Lord is saying to us in the Scriptures. So, I noticed, did you notice here that the Lord talks about when He talks about His name, He talks about salvation. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Paul quotes that great text over in chapter 9 of Romans, the, <laughs> you know, the chapter voted most likely never to be preached in the modern church. Um, but Paul quotes this great text over in Romans 9. So what I want to say in closing, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, God, let me just bounce off of this uh, verse 19 thing here that God says, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. God saves His people. It's why we remain saved. We talked about it two weeks ago as we looked at Jude 24 and 25. And God seeks His people. It's why we don't uh, remain lost. Luke 19.10, we touched on that last week. So, as we emphasized last week, if we genuinely seek Him, He says, 
He will be found by us. And as we see this week in the life of Moses, if we genuinely ask to, sh- to see His glory, He will reveal it to us. He will reveal it to us. I always refer to John 17 and I'm finished. Um, that great text where Jesus says that we'll get His joy, we'll taste His glory. Even as the Father has loved the Son, He has loved us. All these, these beautiful things that, that He says there in John 17. Beloved, we are caught up in this breathtaking romance. And I hope it's real for you. I hope that that's going on in your heart. I hope you do desire God as we've been talking about. I hope you do seek for God as we've been talking about. Moses prayed, O Lord, show me Your glory. I challenge you as your pastor, incorporate this into your prayers. You say, Jim, I've got some serious problems. Here's what you do. Lord, show me Your glory right there. Show me Your glory right there. Help me to trust You right there. Help me to obey You right there. Show me Your glory right there, Lord. Show me Your glory. It's the prayer He loves to hear. And it's the prayer He loves to answer. It's a good lesson for us, I think, beloved. A good lesson for us. We are going to come to the Lord's table tonight.